Video. You know you need it. You know it's all but expected from Gen Z at this point. But you've got no time and little budget, and your Marcom department is two months late on those new program brochures they promised. So asking them to help with a video? Forget it. But what if video could be as simple as sending an email to a prospective student? Meet GoodKind, a video engagement platform designed to make each one of your prospects feel like they're getting the extra special treatment. As an enrollment manager, you're competing for attention. And in a sea full of static, boring HTML emails from other schools, a personal video is how you stand out and drive action. With GoodKind, you can bring your university, faculty, and students to life by designing an engaging, hyper-personalized, and video-first communications journey. Increase applications, increase yield, and decrease melt with the power of GoodKind. Visit wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify to book a demo and see just how powerful video marketing can be show your face show you care see the difference connection makes at wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify i experienced burnout as well too i i the the way i describe it is that my useful battery life was running out and when you watch somebody else go through that, you can really see it happening. You can almost see the battery starting to leak battery acid around the edges. And it's only so long before the, the remote control doesn't work at all anymore because, you know, the whole battery compartment is, is eroded, right? You can see that in other people. And it takes a lot of self-awareness to see that in yourself. All right, Stacey, we are we're live. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Yourself? I am doing excellent, other than being uh, 15 minutes late to our interview because of horrible traffic. Um, but uh, that aside, I'm, I'm happy to be chatting. I've It's been fun following you on social for probably a couple of years now, I guess. Uh, and you work at a company now that um, I, you know, I have great affinity for Mickey Baines from Kennedy and Company, as many of the folks listening to this this episode also have have great affinity for Mickey. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be chatting with you. It's, uh, it's fun when circles kind of cross and you get to connect with people that you've admired for a while. Thank you. Yeah, it is. It's fascinating to work now alongside somebody I fangirled for years. <laughs> and, you know, he had no idea who I was and we never used the service, but gosh, you sure can glean a lot from someone who's a prolific writer and producer of podcasts like he is. And then now to be a colleague, it, it's really fun. It's amazing. And I learn something from him every day. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, as much as we love Mickey, we're actually here to talk about you and your story. <laughs> and this is a, a part of this special episode that we're, or I should say, series that we're putting together here at Enrollify about people that have left higher ed but are working at higher ed adjacent companies as a part of this this social phenomenon that folks are calling the the Great Resignation, or as we like to call it here at Enrollify, the Great Reimagination. Of, of what higher ed looks like. So I, I want to start by just hearing the story behind how you first came came to work in higher ed. Sure. So it was the year 2000. 
and I was over on the East Coast and looking to move back to the Midwest okay. and listed as someone, and I have a journalism writing uh, and general strategic communication background and answered the call and got my first job in a brand new unit that was in traditional extension at the University of Missouri. Okay. So we were going to write speeches and write publications and do annual reports and promote throughout the entire state, all the good works of the extension programs. And that grew into online education, specific adult learner specific career that lasted 21 years before I, I moved into the world of consulting. Wow, wow. Was it was there a um a story that you could that you could share as you as you kind of reflect on that time now, right? I'm sure there are many stories, but uh a story or two that you think best encapsulates what you what you loved most about about working in higher education. Sure. I think it was the first time I attended a graduation ceremony for the evening program that some colleagues and I dreamed up, launched, promoted, and sold for about 18 months. And then it was probably 24 months before we had our first graduate. And so we had a reception for these graduates and met their families. And as I, journalism background, right, I'm going to be the one that's interviewing, taking pictures and, and talking to these folks. And I started to cry, to, to choke up and tear up the first time I saw Oh, and it still makes me so emotional. The first time I saw a partner become emotional, hmm. the, the accomplishment of their wife. So it was a husband who started crying as his wife started talking about graduating. Wow. And I thought, this is the stuff. This is why in, in my world, I've always focused on adult, non-traditional learners. And that that was it for me. I knew this is, we're making difference in people's lives. Yeah. And that was the story. That was the story that hooked me and then kept me going for so long. Ah, what a what a beautiful story. And it, you know, what's been fun about this little series that we're working on is getting to just hear how so, so many of the reasons why folks have folks joined higher ed and or have stayed in higher ed for for so many years is, is because of moments like that, right? It's it's the people it's seeing, seeing the students, right, that you've walked with, or that you remember, answering their initial phone call or communicating, you know, with them over email and seeing them sort of graduate and kind of go on to, to do big things. Um, that seems to kind of be this, this common narrative of like why people love the space so much. Exactly. I do have one of those silly stories of a, a person came to one of our in-person information sessions that I would go put the little signs out on the corners of the <laughs> street, right? A couple hours before the information session. So we could get passersby. And uh, he had all sorts of questions, you know, well, will I get a physical diploma? What will my diploma say? Will it say that I went to school at night and will, you know, will it be a real university degree, et cetera? And then fast forward, I'd moved on with life, kind of forgotten about that interaction. And then he became an online student in the graduate online program, probably 14 or 16 years later. Wow. And I remember the name once I saw his name come through in the graduation roster, because still here I was still wanting to go out and tell stories of the graduates. And so I thought, wow. So we made an impression that day when he wandered into an information session in the early 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk about, I mean, it, we like to talk a lot about sort of like the the life cycle of like marketing to to students, especially at the graduate level or non-traditional level. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, it's not a traditional 
you know, nine months or 18 months, right? Whereas um, is, is a little bit more common at the undergraduate level. It could be years, two, three, four years, right, of, of nurturing. Talk about, you know, Absolutely. compare, compare Absolutely. that to like 12 they, to 16 years. And people years. remember you, yeah, right? That's, yeah. I think, the most fascinating thing. They remember the conversations of the first person they talked to when they called the office. Hmm. And so that's why as as a chief marketing officer later, we spend so much time harping on the recruitment process yeah. and, and why it matters so deeply. Mm. So talk to us about your, your progression there. So you were there for uh, a couple decades, you said, right? 21 years? Yes. 21 years. Okay. So what, what were the various kind of like roles that you, that you held along the way and, and where were you at like right before this, this transition? Sure, sure. So I think uh, as is natural for a lot of people, you, you know, you start at the bottom and, and moved your way up and through a, a couple different mergers of different units, I ended up where I was. So I started, I think it was a communication specialist or marketing specialist was the first title. Okay. I moved into an assistant director role still in traditional university extension. Then that director left. So I think there's also an aspect of this uh, career progression that involves luck mm, right yeah sometimes positions open up that yeah. you can move into so the director left i was next in line to become director then we moved into a merger so we were going to move our program from where it sat at the university into what we called the main campus under the provost office okay so now we're being merged into another unit. So as part of a, a multi-unit leadership team, because each director came together and reorganized. And then I became just the, the marketing communications director under a new director. Then we created a new office structure out of that. Okay. And then maybe one or two mergers and changes later, uh, I became part of a system-wide entity. So I was part of a four-campus system and we moved the online program administration from just one campus to the system level where we were then leading those efforts across all campuses. So I was the, you know, I don't even remember my title now and it hasn't even been that long, just the <laughs> director of marketing and, and recruitment Yeah, I think, for the system when I did leave. Okay. Okay. And I, I want to hear the story behind that. So at what point in time did you start looking looking elsewhere did were you sort of approached by a, a recruiter had you considered moving because again you're at the same institution well they're in you know dramatically different roles along the way same sort of you know uh, institution here um at what point do you start thinking about something else what's the story there sure so i probably started thinking about consulting after having developed really close friendships with other colleagues around the country. I had the, the vast luck of being able to travel for, for professional development. And as part of a professional membership organization and a volunteer leader there. So yeah. I would travel multiple times a year and put on conferences and in doing so make close connections with the other vendors who were at that conference trying to sell their services and products. And so really just great friendships with these people. I'd see them once or twice a year and, just start to learn about their life yeah. and started maybe probably now that I've been, now I've been doing it for a while, romanticize the life a little mm. bit. This will obviously have been way pre pandemic. Right. And just became interested in the idea. Uh, then a couple interesting things happened with reorganization and realignment at the, at my system. Yeah. 
and some key leaders left and then started calling me of, hey, do you want to move? Do you want to come to this new institution? And I, for family reasons, can't move to another location. And so I said, well, let's see, maybe I could start consulting with you and I could do this for, they don't allow remote employees okay. or they do, let's figure that out. Should I start consulting with you? And so that led to my first sort of independent contractor consulting relationship that lasted a year. Okay. And then that led to, you know, I don't really want to do this by myself as an independent contractor and all the connections that I made during those conversations led me to the firm I'm with now. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org. Wow, wow. And that firm is, is Kennedy & Company. Correct, yep. right, yes. And okay, so this seems, all seems like a very like natural progression, right? And you know, you talk about it somewhat nonchalantly, like, oh yeah, this happened, I made some friends. I romanticized the consulting life a little bit and uh, then it all just kind of like fell into place. But like, I, I would also imagine that, you know, this, this was a massive change, right? Um, oh, sure. I was an intense hustle. I guess I shouldn't gloss <laughs> over it. Like I, I sort of, once I found out about Kennedy and company and that they wanted to expand their services in the online strategy area, I sort of worked that lead myself from the outside yeah. for about a year. It, we started talking at the beginning of the pandemic and for everyone, institutions on my side and then the vendors on the outside, everyone was having cash flow problems yeah. and uncertainty abounded in all directions. And so we just started talking about the potential of, you know, when do you want to leave? Are you going to relocate? what kind of work do you want to do, et cetera. And so we probably talked four or five times over the course of a year before it became a real, all right, let's really start taking this person seriously and bringing them on as a principal. So, yeah. And I, I, I want to hear a little bit more about this um, romantization, romantization and roman rom romancing mm -hmm. and uh, however the hell you say yeah, that that's word yeah. <laughs> of 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 being a consultant because I, because i don't think you're alone there right in fact a lot of the folks i've talked to as we as we're putting together this series and just folks over the years right like this is something that like people people really do when, when you're on the inside right it kind of seems like oh wow these people have all these resources like when they come to town like they take us to nice dinners they wine and dine us and wow what a life right what a life and and then oftentimes when you when you make the jump right or you move to whether it's an agency or a consultancy or an ed tech provider whatever it might be you realize oh wow like you know there it's it's not necessarily as kind of like flashy as it as it looks on, on the outside at like the annual conference per se but I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about like your expectations or, or kind of what you thought and, and then what you sort of realized to be reality once you, once you, you know, join the team. Sure. Sure. So I, I wasn't sure that I would like giving up the day-to-day -day known knowns Ooh. for a bunch of unknown unknowns. 
headphones. And, and I found out that I actually didn't mind that very much. So after so many years, I had a, by the time I left, I had a really large team and it could, you know, those days when it runs itself, everybody knows their job, they know what they're doing and they come to me with problems or things that get escalated, but everybody just kind of an engine that runs. Yeah. And starting at the, at a new entity, uh, as the new person on the block who didn't know, I didn't know how to put in an expense report and I didn't know how to, you know, I had to find new insurance for the first time in however many years and, you know, all those systems that you're just used to having. Yeah. So that I, that part came more naturally to me than I guess I thought it would of, of just fitting in the networking lifestyle comes easy to me. And so making new connections. And even through the pandemic, as a person in communications and online education during the pandemic required a lot of long hours, but it required a lot of skill in email writing and conversing over the phone and conversing in tools like we're using today and web conferencing. And so that part came very naturally to me. And so I think the the part that I wasn't quite ready for is how exhausting it actually is to pack up, fly across the country run to a set of meetings, then fly back home that night or, or get work done in a hotel that night and fly home the next morning. And I, I am in a college town where we have a regional airport. So I have a mandatory layover in whatever direction I want to go east or west. So it takes me about six to eight hours of travel time or journey time to get anywhere. Yeah. So you lose productivity. So you work on the plane and you work in the terminal and the focus that it takes to do that. I think I underestimated mm. how hard it is to stay productive when you're on the road because I just simply wasn't used to it. Yeah. Now, seasoned road warriors, they they know how to do it and they know how to block their schedule off and they're able to focus on things. Uh, but I had to teach myself that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what, um, what's been most rewarding and, or what have you just w w at night when you're kind of like reflecting and you're thinking about the day, what, what are the, what are the things that come to mind of like, wow, like I'm really glad I'm here now. Uh, sure. what, what are some of those things? Well, I think one of the things that I loved most about working on the inside was helping professional lifelong career staff people have a better professional experience mm. to help staff understand that what they do matters that they are the lifeblood of an institution and so much attention is always focused on faculty and faculty salaries and and things like that which are also integral to any higher ed institution but the staff sometimes feel left out mm. so for me one of the most rewarding parts of the work that I'm doing with many institutions now is working with the staff and whether it's an individual school or college or in a division or in an online division even, and they're trying to do their work more efficiently or trying to find a new software or trying to, or they're being reorganized, right? Maybe yeah. against their will sometimes <laughs> and making sure that staff feel valued and understood and uh, that there's an empathetic ear on the other side of the the Zoom call every time we meet or the other side of the table when I'm in person with them. I understand what they're moving through. I understand their concerns. If, you know, is this new thing going to mean more work for me? Yeah. And I haven't gotten a pay, I'm at a public institution. I haven't had a, a pay raise in three years, you know, and now you want me to do what? Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that that is so valuable to me to watch, to bring something 
along with me and my experience and the toolkit that I have to help them to make their process easier. And that's really rewarding. And that's why I still, I might not get to talk to students anymore. And I haven't been at a, a graduation photo shoot in a, in a couple of years now. Um, but now the reward is in helping staff have an easier time throughout their day. Yeah. Because regardless of whether they hired me or not to come in and help them, they still have a set of tasks they have to get done that day. And if I can find a way to make that work better for them, then that's rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. So well said. Um, uh, a follow-up to that is one, one of the big fears that I think a lot of folks wrestle with, especially those who've been working at an institution for, for years or, or even decades, right? Is, I've heard a lot of things about like, you know, agency life, or I've heard a lot of things about like, you know, moving to the the quote unquote dark side and going to work for a vendor about like, you'll lose all your work-life balance. You'll lose, you know, uh, all of your great benefits, yada, yada, yada. What, what has that experience been like for you? Has it, has it kind of been as expected? Like how, how, how do you think about sort of just balance um, now, as opposed to what it looked like before you left? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, I have an odd perspective on that because I have been a workaholic, <laughs> self-diagnosed workaholic for most of my adult life. So I like to, my father was very good at saying, do as I say, not as I do in all things. And so I've sort of adopted that attitude. Um, I like to, when I'm mentoring young professionals, talk to them about the schedule and the priorities and the changes that they're making. Uh, and then I learn from those conversations each time too, because I realize I'm not always living what I'm preaching, uh, but I do, I do work a lot and I always have, and uh, it is somewhat of a hobby for me, honestly. Uh, the, there are lots of different aspects to what I do in the firm. We're a smaller firm. So we do sales as, as well as strategy and outreach and, marketing and then the actual strategy work that we're selling. So I have a little bit of brain power reserved for each of those things as I move through my week and I have to schedule myself pretty, pretty finely to make yeah. sure that I'm paying attention to those things. And there are times when the flexibility that it affords you though, can really come back to haunt you later. So you have a, a personal life appointment or a trip or whatever it is you need to do. And I'll st I can make up that time in the evening or I can make up that time the next day. Yeah. And we're in a firm that doesn't have uh, a tracking system for paid time off. You take off when you need and then you get the work done. And there are pros and cons to that. So you have to set personal internal limits. Yeah. So this is not constantly working and not constantly uh, just because you don't want to burn out. If, if burnout was the reason you left higher ed in the first place and now you work in a higher ed adjacent firm, you can just as easily burn out in this situation as well if you're not careful and set personal limits and and goals and you, you do all the personal project management tools that are out there for us to read. And we read them, right? Or at least we read the headlines <laughs> <laughs> and we scroll. And so you have to practice those things or burnout can be a, a real thing for you in any role. Yeah. On that note, um, it didn't sound to me like you had burned out of higher ed. Um and that, that sort of was the reason for, for the shift. It seemed like it was a little bit more like gradual and natural, and there was some restructuring and reorg going on, and you thought, oh, maybe this is a good time to try something else. First and foremost, would you say would you say that's accurate, or, or did you did you experience kind of a burnout? Oh, I experienced burnout as well, too. I, I, the 
the way I describe it is that my useful battery life was running out. And when you watch somebody else go through that, you can really see it happening. You can almost see the battery starting to leak battery acid around the edges. And it's only so long before the the remote control doesn't work at all anymore because you know, the whole battery compartment is, is eroded, right? Yeah. You can see that in other people and it takes a lot of self-awareness to see that in yourself. So yes, that was happening to me as well. And I think it took me a long time to notice it. And so in tandem, those things had the pandemic was happening, the burnout was happening. Uh, and then talking with friends and colleagues around the country. And I think that was key for me of really talking with my wife, talking with friends, talking with colleagues all across the country of how are you dealing with this? And, you know, how many more times can you put in a 16 hour day explaining how Zoom uses to 30,000 people across <laughs> campus, <laughs> you know? And, um, and so you just, you have to be very honest with yourself. And so for me, it was both things. There were mm. a set of, set of very lucky circumstances happened at the same time that I was experiencing the burnout and then also realizing it. And I think, Maybe it took me longer to realize the burnout was there than some people. And I'm really happy that people are more open about talking about it now because yeah. it makes it easier for the next person to start to self-evaluate those symptoms. And if I, I found, I, I was thinking about before our conversation started today, one of the last people who left their um, in-university job before me, I wrote, congratulations on getting out as my like send off on the card of, I'm gonna miss you, congratulations on getting out. And I thought, wow, why did you write that? And what is happening to you that, that, that you're congratulating this person of, of getting out of here? And you know, I really, I think that was maybe if you had to boil it down to one moment when I realized, Stace, you're kind of done and what are you gonna do next? Yeah, <laughs> Would, were you, um? Thanks for sharing that, by the way. That was all very well said um, and very moving. Um, were you at all, like, worried that you, because you had been at one place for so long, right, that you just, you wouldn't have what it might take to kind of go and give advice and, and consult with, like, a myriad of institutions? Like, was there any, like, imposter syndrome syndrome kind of, like, working there or or or, 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 or not so much? You know, I, I, I think it's uh, a healthy dose of naivete was at <laughs> work and I, I did not. And I think when you, when you put your story together and you put your bullet points together and you're going to start to talk to people who've been doing consulting maybe for a lifetime and you pinpoint the places that your role changed and the the way you had to do business changed over the course of years. I had enough varied experiences, even though the paycheck came from the same institution for so long, the experiences really amassed into somebody who mm. had a lot of different experience that I, I will say that because I was in public education for so long, it has been a learning curve for me to understand how private institutions put their pants on every morning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, that's a really, I did not go to private school for my education and I did not work in it. And so it's, I've had to learn how the world works in, in those situations. And so, but that's been fascinating. Yeah. But you know, but they are having some of the very same struggles with enrolling students and the right financial aid packages and the right modeling and the right online strategy, you know, so it's transferable. And I think that, constantly 
I constantly am reading and absorbing as much information I can from the higher ed landscape and the publications and just talking to people. And if you can do that well and then transfer the information to other parts of your brain that need to hear it, then I think the adaptability is sort of inherent. At mm. least it was for me. But and then some, you know, just general, she doesn't really know how hard this is going to be, but let's try it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, no, I love that. And, and I, I love that you you specifically called out when you're talking with somebody, right? If you're if you're talking with a firm that might be interested, that you might be interested in moving to, being able to like articulate and pinpoint, hey, while my while I've been at this one place for however long, here are like four very distinct, different kind of roles I held. And like here, here, here was what those roles actually like looked like. Cause I, I think a lot of the time, especially when you're moving to to an agency or a consultancy or again even like an ed tech provider well even if they're a higher ed adjacent firm there's still some like nuance that can be missed or like misunderstanding of like what a title actually means right or like the roles and responsibilities sometimes they're just so freaking vague that it's really hard to understand like okay well, what did this actually look like in your context but i think to those listening that that might be thinking about a switch right and might be worried that they've been at one place for too long i think to your point being able to very concretely and specifically uh, pinpoint and outline what you actually did throughout these different experiences and why what you did could be beneficial to others. That's that's almost, you know, if not as important, um, close to as important as you being able to kind of explain what you did at four different schools, right? Or four different universities. So right. I, I love that you, uh, I absolutely that you called that agree. out. And, and I'll tell you that I, I got that advice from a previous leader, a previous boss who said, I think there are bigger things in store for you, but you need to understand how the rest of the campus works because mm. I really was in the corner of online adult ed for so long. I didn't really understand a lot about traditional undergrad, yeah. financial aid related admissions conversations. And I had never been on a hiring committee of a top level leader. So I found myself on a, a provost appointed hiring committee for the new vice chancellor for student affairs one year. And that was fascinating. And one of those things where you go to an airport and you have airport interviews because they secretly fly in the candidate and have the interview at the airport and, you know, talk with leaders across the institution. I never would have had an opportunity to see life from their perspective if I hadn't looked into that, that committee. Um, and, and so I think finding, finding ways to articulate those experiences that you've had, but then also putting yourself in situations where you can work with people in other areas of mm. campus, because you really do have to understand how the entire institution works. Yeah. They work in some of the firms that that we, you might be exposed to. And, and in the ed tech world, you have to understand purchasing processes and you have to understand security clearance issues that maybe you never touched or understood. You don't even really know the vocabulary, Yeah. but before you can have a conversation about Will this CRM work at my institution or not? Uh, you have to have some exposure to those other parts of the university. So ways to do that, I think, are, are really important, no matter what level of your career you're in. Yeah, yeah. So well said. Uh, I have a couple of final questions for you, Stacey. The first is just around: um, is there is there anything that your institution, uh, or I should say, even the the leadership at your institution, could have done, which would have made you stay or would have excited you to stay? And if so, what? That's a great question. And I know that I've been reading a lot about what other higher ed leaders, both who are in 
inside institutions now and then those who have left have been writing about this and sort of the great resignation in general and then showing staff they're valued and and finding ways to to get people at the table sooner to talk about this in my particular case i think it was a natural evolution for me that couldn't have been prevented regardless yeah it's not money it wasn't personal satisfaction about the way things were going it was just this drive for me an entrepreneurial spirit in me of and what's next yeah and yeah. this has been really cool this is great okay cool 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 what could i do with this same situation if i was doing it at another institution and here's all the things i bring with me that i learned i did wrong before yeah. <laughs> can i help other people not make those same mistakes again and so for me it was a, a natural progression i don't think would have been prevented I know for other people, that's not true. And they can pinpoint exactly the moment that their life turned and realized that they didn't feel valued or they didn't have a seat at the table the way they needed to or, you know, whatever the situation might be. Yeah. I think it was um, Stephen App. I think, in the last few weeks wrote something about that when you move into a higher ed adjacent situation, you're still a professional. You're still a higher ed professional with the core of everything you stand for and having worked for higher ed for so long, that still is there. That still motivates me. Uh, we're just doing it from another direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what advice, if, if any, do you have for, for leaders, right? Who, you know, I, I, I think one of the hard things anytime I'm in a conversation or observing a conversation about the great resignation is, you know, it, it, it's obviously a very sensitive issue and it's people have, people have lots of, lots of feelings about it. You know, I, I always tend to feel for, for the leaders too. Um, you know, what leader wouldn't love to just be able to dish out more money to their incredibly, you know, well-performing staff. And, you know, what, what president is really kind of spending their time thinking about ways to cut salaries of staff just, just for the, the hell of it. Right. Um, I like to think that, most of our most of our presidents aren't spending most of their time thinking about those things, right? Um, exactly. And yet, and yet, you know, reality is reality, and it's it's tough. It's a tough season right now, a tough inning, one might say, in in working in higher education at this particular moment. So, you know, what advice, if any, do you have for these institutional leaders with respect to to recruitment and and retention of staff? Sure. I think that's a great question. And I think it really is a very situational answer. Yeah. So one of the things I've been hearing a lot just in my own local sphere of the institutions around me and the, and the people I know, remote work is a really big issue. And it's been very difficult for those who've been sort of mandated back in person full time after, you know, post pandemic yeah. to Every, everything is fine again. Let's all come back to normal and work eight to five in an office Monday through Friday. And that was, has been very difficult for some people because they see opportunity outside of institutions yeah. who allow more flexibility. Yeah. So then there are hybrid schedules. Okay. Let's come back once a week and let's, you know, and so if for leaders who are in a situation and, and, and I don't envy them honestly, right. Because they have, capital investments on that campus that are sitting empty yep. that they're paying to ensure upkeep yep. Yep. eat cool light the end they're, they're sitting empty because their uh, employees have gone remote or they're in hybrid situations and that's a tough spot to be in because we don't know what's going to happen in a decade and if we start to shed ourselves of these extra buildings and things shift and we need that space again in the future it's never going to be as affordable to yep. get that space back yeah 
at the same time, we're fighting against uh, industry and corporate culture that is allowing some remote and flexible work. And I think that is probably the number one thing to look at. I know it's a complicated conversation yeah. and I know that HR leaders <laughs> spend hours thinking about it, but that would be my number one thing to, to look at in terms of what I still hear. Yeah. Um, pay is always an issue. I'm working with several institutions who are trying to staff up in both their recruitment and marketing operations, and they cannot pay enough to bring in, for instance, a, you know, a Google certified digital advertising specialist to bring their media buying in house. Yeah. And they can't pay enough to bring those people away from the agencies they're working at. So they continue to have to use an agency for that work. And sometimes that's a, a better path anyway yeah. for the expertise and the tools that they have. But if they want to, they have the tools and they're willing, but they have HR policies that prevent them from meeting certain salary requirements. Yeah losing out on human capital they otherwise would be able to bring in. And so that's it's a difficult conversation as well because HR policies all, also are in place for good reasons. Yeah, yeah. So there's an equity issue among longer serving staff and new staff. Those are complicated conversations as well that we get into all the time. You cannot bring in new talent for the pay scales that talent a decade ago was willing to come for. You know, that's just not possible. It's not how it works now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Every time I start thinking about these questions, Stacey, I just get overwhelmed. And I just I just grow. I just grow an appreciation for, for leaders in this moment. Um, exactly. Just because it, it is incredibly difficult. The decisions uh, that need to be made, that have needed to be made over the last several, couple, two and a half, three years now, but will continue to, to need to be made are just are just very, very difficult. They're heavy. You know, there's a heaviness. Yeah, they're not easy conversations either. Uh, they're, they're financially not easy. And it, it almost puts a chip on your shoulder as yeah. a leader yeah. of what the external firms are able to do. Yeah. And oh, then yeah. you develop resentment mm. and, you know, it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, gosh. This has been, this has been super helpful. Thank you so much for just taking time to share a little bit of your story. I know that we're just scratching the surface here, but my, my last question for you for now is what advice do you have or words of wisdom do you have for, for folks who, who are kind of at that, at that point where they're seriously considering a next step. Um, but they're not, they're not entirely sure they've written out their pros and cons. Right. Um, but they, they haven't actually made the decision yet. Any, any sort of like words of wisdom or pieces of advice that you might have given yourself back when you were at that moment and or you know even if you wouldn't have given the advice to yourself <laughs> that you might give to, to folks tuning into this conversation sure gosh that's a good question too i think that uh, financially things have to make sense if and, and that that seems like a, a no-brainer but actually doing the math of of what does it look like if I'm going to move to a situation where I'm in commission-based pay structure, for instance, yeah. and, you, and things don't go your way for the first six months or one year, what does your checkbook really say? And yeah. I'm sorry, I'm old. I, people don't even have checkbooks. Um, <laughs> what is your Venmo you account going to say? But, yeah. <laughs> uh, right. What's your Venmo balance and can this work? And so that was... Uh, a, a great conversation for me to have. And I ended up in a structure where it's not that way. So I, you know, I have salary structure. And so it wasn't as much of a concern, but there are, um, I think timing 
and willingness for change. If you've con- always considered yourself a change averse person and mm. you joke about that, mm. what is it about it that you're, that you are afraid of? Mm. I think fear keeps us from doing a lot of things, making a lot of big changes in life. And so really old fashioned journaling, I think can really come in handy in these situations. Can I afford to do this? What am I scared of? And what's the worst that can happen? And that is, you know, that may be a, kind of a silly um, uh, way to look at it. But the it, the worst that can happen is that I hate it. I don't like it. Or I'm not going to make enough money. I can't yeah. pay rent. Whatever the thing is for you that is the worst thing that you can imagine. Well, what's your action plan to back out of that? Yeah. So you hate it. Well, what happens? Or you it's not what you thought it was or you're um, not being fulfilled by it are there other areas in your life you can fulfill yourself in some of those things that you might be missing whatever the situation is and i think talking to as many people who will listen to you until you reach that stage of they're like oh my gosh stacy for the love of pete stop talking about it and just do it you know when you get when you have a good reflective friend yeah who can say that back to you of you and i had that at one point You've been talking about this for a year. Yeah, Are you just, just do, it. do it or not? Yeah, just <laughs> freaking jump in. And hey, I mean, I, I also think for what it's worth, like a lot of these, I mean, at least in the short term, these jobs aren't going away. Meaning if, if you do leave and you go try something else out and it you hate it on all accounts, yes, you, you know, your your exact job at your exact institution might, might no longer be available. But there are, just do a quick Google search, look on LinkedIn. There are an incredible number of jobs at higher education institutions that are open right now. I actually was exactly. just looking at this last night for for a friend, and uh, I was just jarred, jarred by the number, just in my you know D.C. metro area of, of positions that are open. So anyways, yeah, I, I always like to tell people too, yeah, like you, I think you could, at least in the short term, I think that you'll be able to go back. Like if you really just loved working in-house uh, at, at an educational institution, I think that that opportunity will be around for for at least the foreseeable future. So, absolutely, um, and it might be adjacent to what you were doing before too, yeah. and that could be part of the change that you needed yeah. to sort of resurface the love of what you were doing before. Yeah, yeah, so well said. Well, Stacey, thank you so much for your time. This has this has been wonderful. We're gonna go ahead and link your LinkedIn below in the show notes, so if folks want to kind of just reach out and ask you any follow-up questions that they might have and or just connect with you and you know maybe chit chat about some opportunities that they're considering we'll go ahead and just drop that in the in the show notes below oh i would love that i love because it's really important for professionals to help one another we're lifelong staffers in the world (laughs) of higher ed and we're you know we're going to keep breaking in new leaders there's going to be new presidents and new deans all the time and then at the core are the, the the staff who make things run and so i i would love that Well, Stacey, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Hey, y'all, Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Enrollify podcast. If you liked this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. 
We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members, and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.